0: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Parentkey Live. Carlos and with Kim. So much welcome out here not alone this time. I'm here with my long-lost friend cuz it's been a minute.
1: Not alone.
0: No. no. <laughs> you make
1: that sound so sad?
0: I'm Did you know that that I used to play Eeyore at Disneyland?
1: I did not. Did you know not? That. Know? Okay, no, okay. No, so
0: no, no. so I, I and actually when I was when I was playing Eeyore, they made me um, they made us practice being alone and sad, <laughs> and and I want to let you know that that besides Disneyland, when I worked as e- as Eeyore, I'm never as alone uh, as as when I am recording this podcast without you. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: Carlos, that makes me feel sad. We're gonna record together more often.
0: More often, please. Can we can we do that? So, um, Cristina, ¿Cómo estás? How are we today?
1: Muy bien. Muy bien. This Muy is bien. great. This, this is
0: this, this is good. We're we're gonna um we're gonna jump into some um. I mean, pretty rich and deep conversations today.
1: Yes. I mean, I'm really excited about the conversation today because it's so relevant. Um, Going out, and I've been talking to a lot of parents, going to some parent events, just talking to my friends, and lately, I feel like one of the things I hear, I hear questions about, Mm -hmm. a lot of parents are wondering about, is surrounding mental health. Yeah. And going, how do I, you know, preventatively, proactively deal with helping my kid grow up in a way where they are
0: mentally healthy. Yes. You, you know, I mean that's gosh, it, it's a question that and, and it's a conversation that if we're honest as parents, you don't want to have that conversation. I mean you don't you don't want to learn about that. You don't want that that's not but that's not something that it, automatically you just want to go lean into, but it is so so important these days. When you look at just statistics is what's going on in high schools and um, just the mental health of our kids.
1: Right. Well, and I know as a mom, it's easy for me to know, like, okay, to deal with their physical health, I go to the pediatrician, they check their height, they check their weight, yeah. they ask if they're eating vegetables. There's clear metrics for me that I know, like, okay, yeah, they're staying on track um, with their physical development or their physical growth. And yet mental health can feel a little bit daunting or scary. Absolutely. And, um, most of us, I and mean, we've never been trained in this or to recognize, um, when our kids might be struggling or they might be low and we can operate on a spectrum of either panic mm. going, Oh my goodness, my kid's having a bad day. What does this mean? And you know, are they going to you know, spiral out of control Sure. or, you know, just kind of like blissful ignorance. Like I kind of don't know how to check in on that. So I'm just so gonna going to hope it's all going well. Yeah. And yeah. So today we get to have a conversation with one of our favorite mental health professionals, licensed professional counselors, Chinway Williams. And we've actually talked to Chinway before. Yes.
0: Yes, we've talked to her uh, two times, I think, if I remember correctly, once about anxiety specifically in our kids and then also about, I think, therapy in, in our kids and what that looks like.
1: So she's going to be back today again. Yes, 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 And this is the first part of a two-part series with chin Wei. It, it was so good.
0: We, we, need, we really needed to divide this up into two.
1: She has so much wisdom. And the first thing that we're going to talk about today's episode is hyper-focused just on recognizing if your kid is doing okay. Mm. I mean, is your kid experiencing a crisis? Um, is what they're going through right now something that we really need to pay attention to as parents? Yeah. Because I know for me, I'm like... How do I really know yeah. how they're doing um, in this specific area?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, so we, we get to sit back right now and jump into the conversation that you had specifically with Chinway. Here we go.
1: Chinway, thank you so much for being here today to have this conversation. I am really excited to get started because this is going to be such helpful stuff. And um, we are diving in today to some pretty kind of heavy topics. Yeah. But as a parent, I think this is just important, important content.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here. I love talking about these um, really yeah. important topics that affect all of our, our children, all of our families. So mm-hmm. thanks again for the invitation.
1: So. What we're going to talk about today is a little bit about how
2: to recognize
1: when your kid is going through a crisis. Yeah. And we use this word crisis all the time Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. Um, A lot of times we're saying, you know, in a sense, childhood itself is a crisis. (laughs) You know, adolescence (laughs) is a crisis. Yeah. Because of all the changes that are happening. Yes. um, To you and around you and your world. But today we kind of mean something a little bit more significant by it. So what do we mean when we say this word crisis?
2: Yeah. And you're right. Um, We use the word and we're not always specific about what we, what we mean from a mental health perspective. A crisis is really any sort of significant and in fact, dramatic shift in circumstances. So that can be an event that can be an external event, that can be something that's happening internally, but typically when someone is going through a crisis, they're having um, a psychological event, an environmental event, or a social event that they're finding difficult to cope with. So wait,
1: wait, wait. This morning, my two-year-old had a something that lined up with all of those. You said a mental event, yeah. an environmental event, social yeah. event. she was having a hard time dealing with because she thought she was going to wear a dress yeah and i tried to give her a shirt and (laughs) pants so i think she would have told me and and expressed
2: to me in multiple ways that this was a crisis so how do we
1: how do we recognize um the differences yeah
2: yeah and so i think it's important to mention that um crisis or the experience of something distressful is going to vary for each person so Mm -hmm. what may qualify as a crisis for you may not necessarily for me Mm -hmm. or for your sweet little girl right Right. and vice versa so something that's happening for her that feels deeply distressful could actually rise to the level Mm -hmm. of of crisis and for us as parents we're like oh that's not a big deal. Just (laughs) wear what I tell you to wear, (laughs) right? But yeah, it's the, it's the reaction and it's the, the emotions that the individual is experiencing in the moment that really qualifies an event as a crisis or not.
1: So how do you recognize this? I mean, if you're trying to get a feel as a parent Mm -hmm. for, is my kid going through a crisis um I would think those signs look a little bit different maybe for the different ages for a preschooler or an elementary age child or an adolescent. Um, what are some warning signs that you hope parents could understand or recognize um, to know, let's just take the first age group for a minute. yeah, you know toddlers and preschoolers. how do we differentiate between you know a tantrum that happens all the time or maybe something that carries a little more significance
2: yeah and with each it's a really important question kristen and with each developmental stage my initial response is always the same it Mm. starts with really knowing your child Mm. right understanding what their natural patterns are what their typical responses are and of course when you're talking about a toddler it's to be expected that they're seeking independence. Mm-hmm. It's to be expected that they're going to um, push limits and push boundaries. And, um, and that's not going to qualify as a crisis or something that a parent should necessarily worry about unless it's combined with other significant changes in behavior and also something that falls outside of what's typically expected during that um, stage of development. And so for that... A parent of a toddler, it's always good to kind of check in with um, your pediatrician, Mm -hmm. and and, you know it's like okay, yeah, kids have like meltdowns and tantrums, and of course they happen at inopportune times. Mm -hmm. Um, But is this normal, or is this something that you know now they're starting to like hit? Is Mm -hmm. that normal? Well, in a lot of cases, absolutely, it's normal, right? But if you're also seeing other things going on, for example, if your child was fully potty trained and now they're they're wetting the bed that could be considered normal but if you're seeing other things it might also be something to kind of look at closer
1: And know when, when we had conversations in the past mm-hmm. and and reading different things regressions yes. specifically yes. what you're talking about is kind of one of those bigger red flags that yes. they if they were able to do any particular thing yes specifically potty training but there are others and then they are no longer, that that regression is um, something to look into. Yes, potentially, Mm potentially
2: a red flag. Um, And as we get older, let's say elementary school years, and this actually could apply for the younger population as well. If you notice, okay, so there's a term called separation anxiety, and I think it's in the ether. So most mm-hmm. of us outside of the mental health profession understand what it means to feel nervous and feel a great deal of trepidation when we're away from our loved ones and caregivers. Um, and at a certain age, that's to be expected. But if you find that your child is you know, attached to you, but if you've gotta to go to work or run to the grocery store, there's no big fanfare. But all of a sudden, they're clinging to your leg. They're saying, Mommy, Daddy, don't go. When you get back, you can tell in their eyes that there's a great deal of distress. That's something that we want to kind of investigate further. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, in the elementary age specifically, mm-hmm. you know, other than so maybe a prolonged separation anxiety, yeah. or heightened anxiety mm-hmm. and separation, what are other things that you would say are kind of, red flags are things that we should pay attention to,
2: pay take note of. Absolutely. So this is elementary age um, is when kids are really connecting with their peers. They enjoy having fun and spending time with their friends. Um, It's a little different from the teenage years because they still enjoy spending time with us adults, but those friendships are really important and they look forward to going outside and and playing. They look forward to attending the birthday parties. Mm -hmm. Um, If you start to notice that your child who was once, you know, looking forward to these things that are fun and pleasurable, start to um, say, mommy, I don't really want to go. Mm-hmm. Mommy, I'm not interested. And these are, you know, individuals who they consider like maybe even their best friends. Um, something else that, that teachers usually pick up on is just a little bit of uh, withdrawal or withdrawn mm-hmm. behavior in the classroom with kids who are normally pretty, um, excitable or curious or engaged. And so that's just another thing to kind of look for.
1: Now, what causes that kind of withdrawal or separation typically? Is that something, uh, is there like a, a reason or a purpose behind
2: that. Yeah. So that that's where we get a <clears throat> a little bit more complicated because with each child, they're going to be just a different set of circumstances, broad strokes. It's just important to know that any sort of like distress or crisis typically comes from three major areas. So there's like a psychological component or there's an environmental component or there's a social component. Mm-hmm. Or there could be overlap. So for every child is gonna be different. For some kids, maybe there's something going on in the home and it doesn't necessarily need to be um, something so significant that rises to the level of, oh, well, you know, the parents aren't doing a good job or there's abuse. It could be just mom is sad. You know, maybe mom has a lot on her plate. Maybe mom's feeling overwhelmed. Maybe there's been some sort of loss that hasn't really been communicated Mm -hmm. number one or hasn't has been communicated and hasn't been just processed by the individual so they're internalizing a lot of what's going on and that can cause sort of like a, a a withdrawn state um in other cases, just sort of what we see as parents and educators, um, just social issues. Um, it's, we haven't reached the middle school age, but I have a, a 13-year-old bonus daughter. She didn't come from my <laughs> womb, but I love her just the same as if she did. Her um, um, her name is Jalen, and she's amazing. And she had a crisis, and um, I should probably save this until we get to middle school, but It was one of those things where we had to look at what's going on and we investigated a lot of different areas and it really had to do with just the social piece, her feeling not really connected to her friends in the same way that she had the previous year, but she was really feeling it on a, on a, on a deep level. Yeah. And let's just go
1: there into adolescence. I mean, what are some of the red flags that a parent might want to tune into, you know, that would go adolescence itself can be a time of turmoil and, yeah. um, there's just elevated emotions and things changing <laughs> yes. and things happening. But what are things that you would go, Hey, that's a red flag. Don't dismiss that too quickly.
2: Yeah. And I love that you said that because, um, in graduate school that I just remember, I'm looking at it now in my head, a visual of a chapter, Um, in our human development book about adolescence. And the first words, uh, the first sentence was, adolescence is turmoil and strife. (laughs) And I feel like that was like a thousand years ago. Yes, um, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. And as someone who loves working with adolescents, I was a high school counselor for five years. And um, uh, most of my clientele, I would say, are older adolescents and young adults. Yeah, they can be dramatic and par- as a, as a parent, I think part of the um the wonderful thing about adolescents and also the frustrating thing is that they feel their emotions intensely. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we adults can kind of like dismiss that mm-hmm. as typical adolescent strife mm-hmm. and angst and yeah, it's going to happen turmoil and strife. But for young people at this particular stage it can be um it can feel real for them and it could very well be real so when you ask about red flags some of the ones that immediately come to mind are individuals who come from home environments that are toxic Mm -hmm. and that's a harsh word and so I just want to like break it down a little bit. Toxic home environments can have a lot to do with just the outside environment, just the neighborhoods that aren't safe. Mm. Um, but most of the time what research suggests is that what's happening in the home has more of an impact. And so if parents aren't getting along, and let's say there's not any physical violence, but violence can occur in so many different forms and kids just pick up on it. So if there's unrest or turmoil or um, just you know parents arguing frequently, and there's not any sort of like repair, done in front of the child, Mm. especially at the adolescent stage of development. They're kind of internalizing that. Um, So parents going through separation or divorce can be a red flag. Um, Grieving the loss of any sort of significant individual, including um, a pet, can be a red flag. Uh, Bullying, and what's interesting, Kristen, some of the research that's coming out now Um, bullying is a significant risk factor for depression Mm -hmm. and even suicide, but now we know that people who are bullied have a high risk for suicide. Excuse me, people who are bullies. The bullies. Yeah, the the, bullies mm -hmm. have a high risk for suicide.
1: So there's a sense of shame and weight and guilt or whatever that is that that can continue.
2: And where did that come from? Like what's going on in their home environment? Mm -hmm. Like what are they seeing or what are they being exposed to? Um, Any sort of trauma, any sort of child abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse can be a red flag. And yeah.
1: So I know a lot of those as a parent, I get a little bit nervous because I've worked with teenagers Mm -hmm. a good bit and Sometimes it's very challenging to know that maybe they had a breakup, but yeah. they didn't ever tell you about the relationship to begin oh, with. Right. In the first place. So <laughs> it's hard for you to know the breakup happened or to know that they're bullying someone yeah. or to know that they're being bullied or to know that these things are going on Yeah, um, is tricky. So what are some signs in um, behaviors or attitudes mm-hmm. or actions that can, clue you and ask those questions or dig a little deeper find out if maybe some of those other things are really happening yeah
2: that's an excellent excellent question because a lot of the signs for crisis or distress or depression aren't visible they're mm-hmm. just not necessarily obvious and young people have do a really good job of kind of hiding it from us if they really want to and then some things just you you aren't gonna miss if you're paying attention so some of those warning signs I would say any sort of change in appearance any sort of change in hygiene um changes in in eating habits or sleep habits um changes in in friendships especially if it's pretty, um, stark, you know, Mm -hmm. they're hanging with one group of friends and then they start hanging with a completely different set of friends could be a red flag and also just irritability, you know, difficulty concentrating, decline in school performance is something that, um, probably would come to the attention of parents and and would cause one to kind of check in and say, Hey, this is what I'm noticing. Um, what's going on, what's going on. And also social media is, um, Uh, students now have like a huge platform for expressing their feelings, their likes, their desires, their goals in life. So social media, I never want to come down too hard on it because I think there's so many wonderful aspects of it. Um, It's also a way for students to kind of express their pain. So Mm -hmm. if you're noticing or hearing about dark writing or, um, messages that would convey like low self-esteem or that a child is going through a really, really tough time. That is the time for the parent to kind of step in and say, Hey, um, I'm noticing this and I just want to check in. I want to check in to make sure that you're okay. There's so much that you're saying here that I
1: can't wait. We're going to have a follow-up conversation with you mm-hmm. about how to respond yes. if you see some of these signs. Mm-hmm. But today we're mm-hmm. focused mm-hmm. on just recognizing the signs mm-hmm. themselves. Yes. But one thing that you kind of already hinted at that I just wanted to call attention to mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that when you said low academic performance, yes, one thing that's remarkable to me about that is that you would notice a child slipping in their academic performance Mm -hmm. and yet the issue is not Mm -hmm. their academic ability Mm -hmm. or their effort Mm -hmm. or a decline in focus on academics, but really an emotional, personal inner conflict with their mental health. Yes. Um, But asking the question, not, you know, why are you not performing here, but what is going on with you yes.
2: in your heart. So it's yes. a check Oh, 100%. And I love that you just said that. I literally had a client this week and and she's an adult and I don't want to give away too much information. Um, but she's having a tough time. I mean, mm-hmm. she's functioning on the outside. She's doing well professionally. She's an amazing mother and wife. Um, and I admire her in so many ways. Um, but part of the reason she's coming to see me has to do with just childhood trauma and one thing that came out recently is just her feeling like the signs were there she's got two little girls mm. so she's like if my girls were exhibiting the things that I was exhibiting at that age I'd be all over it mm. and so she's like why didn't anyone notice and some of the things that you mentioned decline in grades and she was a really smart um, capable student, even mm-hmm. at a young age. And she's like, why didn't my teachers ask me what was going on? Um, mm-hmm. why didn't other people check in? I was stealing. Um, my teeth were riding out of my head. Um, I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And why didn't someone notice? Mm-hmm. And so you're absolutely right. When you're thinking about a an, an emotional, um, uh, I don't want to really use the word disorder, but someone who's having a difficult time emotionally or mentally, something like depression is going to impact your ability to concentrate. Depression is going to impact your ability to focus. It's going to impact your energy levels. So you could be perfectly capable of doing the academic work, but you just don't have it in you Mm. to do it. And so absolutely, it's not necessarily about the academics, but what's happening internally. So, when should a parent reach out for support in some of these situations? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I I talk a lot about anxiety and and stress with families, especially here lately. And so one of the things, just as a quick sort of sound bite that I say and I share with my clients and my families, um, is when you're stressed, support helps. But I think it's really feeling supported Mm. helps stress, Mm. right? But then feeling supported is helpful, period, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right? It's like whether you're going through a a dark time, a difficult time, a crisis, just having like a healthy support network is something that I would recommend for every parent, every family. Um, So that's important. Um, But certainly if there's something going on, it's important to have very specific people who have specific areas of expertise to call on for additional guidance.
1: So, at what point do you go from surrounding your kid with support, mm-hmm. having support for yourself mm-hmm. personally, mm-hmm. to identifying we need to maybe get connected to a mental health professional?
2: Yes, yes. So um, for us in the mental health profession, we don't diagnose. We pay attention to everything. We don't diagnose uh, any sort of emotional or mental issue unless we see a pattern of behavior for depression across two weeks. And if there's a lack or diminished functioning in multiple areas. Mm -hmm. So yeah, kids are going to go through things, you know, families are going to be in transition and people are going to internalize that in different ways. But if you've noticed that after a two week period of time, your child just isn't coming out of it, um, Again, you should receive support for yourself, you should get a break, you should offer your kids multiple different self-care practices throughout whether something's going on or not. But if you've noticed sort of a persistent, um, again, decline in school performance or persistent low mood or social withdrawal, I think that's probably a good time after two weeks to maybe get some additional support, um, either through um, your pastor, a uh, mental health professional, or even the first step I would say is even like your pediatrician.
1: That's great. That is so helpful because in my own mind, I'm thinking through my kids mm-hmm. and our life day to day, and thinking there are emotional outbursts. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, my daughter, you know, having that distress over her outfit this yes. morning. Um, has one thing, but if that behavior is compounded with other behaviors Mm -hmm. and it persists over two weeks, Mm -hmm. then it's something to go, wait, we need somebody who can really look into this situation a little bit more deeply with us. Absolutely. How do we take that first step? So say I've been noticing these behaviors, Mm -hmm. it's gone on for at least two weeks, maybe a month, maybe Mm -hmm. six months, Mm -hmm. maybe nine months, Yeah. but I'm listening to this and going, okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we need to find somebody. Right. How does a parent go about finding the help that they need?
2: Yeah, so that's really, really, really important. And what I love that's happening now is that there are intentional outreach Um, measures that are occurring because we know that things like depression and anxiety among children and adolescents are on the rise. And so what's happening now is that information is being funneled to pediatricians. Information is being funneled to schools, college health centers. Um, So we're hoping that parents don't have to look so far, but from the parents that I've talked to, honestly, it still feels really, really overwhelming. And so I do like to start with um, pediatrician, mm-hmm. a school counselor, someone that's easily accessible, someone um, at the church that can possibly offer referrals. I know the church that I attend, um, there's a long, long, um, and by the way, vetted counseling referral list. And then of course, one can go online, which feels kind of big. Um, but um, there are some resources for parents to, you know, to get additional support.
1: What would you say to a parent who maybe they're at that edge of going, okay, I think I might need to talk to someone at the school Mm -hmm. or my pediatrician or someone at the church, but I feel afraid Mm -hmm. of telling them that I think my kid is in crisis because Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. might that reveal about me or Mm -hmm. my family Mm -hmm. or expose us to? I think there's natural fear sometimes as a parent to say, what are they gonna think about me? Sure. What are they gonna find out about our family? What are they going to say is true about our family? Sure.
2: Um,
1: and without meaning to yeah.
2: um
1: that maybe holds us
2: back. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And and what we know now statistically is that teen depression um is on the rise. Mm. Depression is on the rise. Just period. Mm. Um but there's now this focus on our our young, vulnerable people. And so I think what's interesting is that even though that's on the rise, there's no corresponding increase in treatment. Mm. And what you're saying really speaks to that. I think there's still a lot of um, stigma. There's still a lot of misinformation about what it means. I just want to share that depression specifically, and I know we're talking about crisis, all forms of crisis, but depression specifically is one of the most treatable mental health wow. illnesses. Mm-hmm. So OCD is hard for <laughs> right? Right. Schizophrenia is harder. Anxiety, because we all experience it to some degree every single day, Mm -hmm. it's a little harder. Depression, especially caught early, is treatable. And I think we um, all as a society just need to do a better job of helping to educate parents about um, the reasons people may be get the symptoms of depression or feel um, as if they're in crisis and that it doesn't necessarily have to do with parenting or even what's happening in the home environment. I know we mentioned that earlier, but that's not necessarily the case. It could be just the way that the child is processing information and they need help with that or what's happening um, at school. And so the earlier the child can get treatment, the better, and so yeah. it's really considered an investment, and it's nothing that the parent should feel ashamed or um, embarrassed about. That's great. Mm-hmm. So. What if you've taken
1: that first step and mm-hmm. you took your kid to a counselor, mm-hmm. um, you checked them in, you pushed past that barrier of fear. Yeah. You know, you found somebody. Yes. You drove them across town to yeah. the one that you identified and you've overcome so many barriers <laughs> yes. already. Yes. And your kid goes to their first appointment and they just hate it. Yes. Then what?
2: <laughs> and that happens. And that happens. So one of the primary ingredients. Of effective therapy is the relationship so there has to be rapport established sometimes it takes a few times a few meetings for that connection to really be solidified but for the most part after the first session the child and the therapist knows if there was some sort of like connection right and so if the young person is truly saying I hate it, I can't find a connection, I don't see how this person can help me, then I think the parent should take a look at that. Um, it might be helpful to convince them to try it one more time mm. just because it is a new experience and it's a process, right? And they want to kind of know how it goes and it takes a little while for the therapist to be able to explain that. Um, but on the, other, on the other hand, Kristen, I think it's also important to empower parents to um, make decisions that's best for their family if they feel like this is not a good fit. And by the way, everyone who works in the mental health profession isn't gonna be a good fit for your child, again, because it's about the relationship. So I'd love to be able to empower parents to say, okay, well, let's try someone new. And and even if the parent thinks this person is well-trained or well-qualified, the child has to find the connection. So
1: even if you're taking your kid to somebody with an amazing counseling website, yeah, (laughs) and
2: the kid doesn't connect, right? And you have to
1: take them to somebody who has a terrible website, (laughs) right? Right? It's that connection with a counselor that actually drives a beneficial outcome. Yes,
2: yes. Even if they haven't updated their website in weeks, you don't know who they are. Maybe they don't have a PhD. And by the way, some of the best therapists I know don't have a doctorate. Um, They they just do amazing work. In fact, in some cases, I consider them healers, and then there's some who are well-educated and very scholarly, and they do a good job as well, but at the end of the day, um, the parents have to feel okay about the individual, but the child has to feel like they want to come back. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So
1: then, the last barrier that I I feel a lot of times that um, that prevents us from getting help Mm -hmm. is just money yes practically speaking therapy is expensive so what do Mm -hmm. you say to a parent that goes you know what i've noticed that my child my toddler my elementary school kid my teenager they're exhibiting signs or symptoms that something may be going on for over two weeks Mm -hmm. of time i know Mm -hmm. they need help but Mm -hmm. we just can't afford it
2: sure sure um, and no that's a real that's a real issue and, and across the country you know counseling services can be really costly um, practically speaking there are a few options that I think it's just important to mention a lot of employers you know even if you have health insurance or you don't have health insurance a lot of employers now offer what they call EAP um, assistance and it just stands for employee assistance programs and they can offer between three to sometimes seven sessions for free. And I've participated in these programs um, as a provider. And sometimes I've been able to even advocate for additional sessions, up to 15 sessions um, completely covered by the employer. So that's something to look into. Additionally, I know a lot of therapists offer pro bono services, so if you've identified, let's say you have identified a website that you like, but it's really about the content and right. what the, um, the training and the specialty area about, that the therapist has, I would encourage parents to call the therapist and just say, hey, we don't have a lot of money, but we wanna do what's best for our child. What do you recommend? And I've got to tell you, Kristen. When anyone asks me, I don't always offer at the very beginning. But if someone asks me for any sort of discount or just for the next few sessions, is it okay if I just um, if I if I can't pay you, Mm. um, I've been willing to do that. And I know a lot of professionals who have done that. That's great.
1: And you know, as we talk about this
2: and affording, I know
1: in my own world, I try to remind myself. You know, as a parent. My tendency is I want to buy them that toy that mm-hmm. they want or I want mm-hmm. to get them that candy that they ask for <laughs> yes. because there's this immediate reward right. for me as a mom. Like, right. they smile and then they hug me and yes. I feel good about <laughs> yes, that. that's right. Um, but mental health is an investment in their future, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. giving something to them mm-hmm. and to help them know, you mm-hmm. know, really practical life mm-hmm. skills. About, mm-hmm. you know, life is hard. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be that whatever hard thing they're going through mm-hmm. as a preschooler elementary schooler mm-hmm. adolescent mm-hmm. isn't going to be the only hard thing they deal with in their right. life they're going to come up against these things again as they get yeah. older and giving them those mental skills emotional skills social skills to work through these problems and issues in the first 18 years of yes, life that's right that's sets right them up to be able to do that um, later, later on yeah so I tell myself I try to you <laughs> know, hey, this is an investment in the future that yes. if, if they can learn these skills now navigate the waters they're swimming in while they're young maybe they'll be
2: able to handle the ocean yeah make it a little bit further yeah. in their life yeah I couldn't agree more. And I think it's important for parents to understand, especially parents of younger children, that um, the counseling isn't just geared, good counseling shouldn't be geared only towards the child. It really, really should involve the entire family. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that the family has to come to every single session. But the parents are the ones that are going to be interacting with the kids. The therapist um, sees the kid once a week, right? Um, But the parents are there all the time. And so what therapists do that I think is so valuable is equip parents. So we teach you what we've learned that's effective. We teach you something um, very specific, such as a lot of times kids will get home and parents will ask, how was your day? Mm -hmm. Have you ever asked that, Kristen? (laughs) All the time. All the time. And the answers are not always great. (laughs) How was your day? Fine. (laughs) Exactly. That's the common response, right? Well, I've been trained not to do that because you're going to get that. Exactly. Fine. Good. Whatever. (laughs) Depending on the age, right? And so now we teach parents, instead of asking, how was your day? We ask on a scale of zero to 10, with zero being terrible and 10 being amazing how was your day Hmm. interesting and if they say uh a seven and they're more likely to give you a number they'll think about it because they're like she's not asking how was your day (laughs) she's asking it in a different way um seven okay and then the follow-up is oh wow that's like cool seems like you had a good day what would have made it a nine Hmm. well mom I just I have all this homework and you you get more information. Hmm. You get information. Oh, you know, Johnny said something silly on the playground and it kind of bothered me, but whatever. So you get more information. So it's not just, again, working with the child directly. It's really equipping families with just tons of different uh, ways to kind of cope with what's going on and also just make connections with your child.
1: That is so practical and so helpful. Chen Wei, thank you for mm-hmm. being with us for this conversation. My pleasure. Helping us recognize when our kids are in crisis, when something maybe is going on in their world, um, so that we can tune into that mm-hmm. and better respond. Like I mentioned, we're going to have you back <laughs> on this podcast so that we can continue the conversation about how to respond in the moment, how to handle the situation between you and your child when you notice these things happening. But for today, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and insight. Um, and we will see you back here again
2: soon. Thank you so much, Kristen.
0: Wow, so many really good practical things about how we, how we recognize crisis, how we're recognizing crisis. What I would love for you to do, Christina as I keep calling you that, you're just going to be Christina <laughs> from now on, is, is, is maybe recapping and give us some of those cues uh, to look for when it comes to crisis with our kids.
1: There were a couple of things Chen Wei said that I know I'm going to be thinking about and processing over the next couple of weeks. One was the way she specifically called attention to changes in a kid's behavior that cluster over a two-week period. Mm. For me, that's so helpful so that I don't freak out unnecessarily yeah. over maybe a mood swing or a temperament change that's just for a day or just you know for a moment, um, but that I really can still tune in and notice when something's changing or shifting over an extended period of time. That yes. just felt so helpful to me. That is and really the good. second is something I can go home and do right now. And I feel like that's the cue for this episode to check in on your kids and to check on their heart, to check on how they're doing emotionally by asking the question from 1 to 10, yeah, how was your day? Boom. So practical. I mean, how often do we go, you know, did you have a good day? Did you have a good day? How did today go? You yeah. don't get that answer. But giving them the 1 to 10 metric as a way of drawing out more mm. specific content about what was happening in their day. Yeah. Um, I just think... Is something that we can all do this week.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think when parents we practice this, we're gonna be surprised maybe at the flood of information that comes out. Maybe maybe some stuff we weren't even expecting this much. You know, so you know, so don't overreact, you know, enjoy all the uh, communication that comes your way when you start getting really specific when it comes to these things. Well, we're gonna continue in this practical conversation with Shin Wei next week when we're gonna get really specific about how to talk to your kids about crisis or even when they're in crisis very specifically. So this is what I want you guys to do. I don't want you to miss the next conversation. And the easiest way to make sure you don't miss it is if you subscribe. So whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on iTunes, make sure that you guys are subscribing. And then we will just, Christina and I will just show up We'll just show up on your phones. You don't have to do anything about it. <laughs> and we'll
1: like the neighbor that knocks on your door. Uh, yes. When
0: you least, when expect, you least it. expect it. We're just going to be there. Um, incredible conversation today, Kristen. And so subscribe. Make sure you share this with as many people as possible. We are going through some heavy, heavy times and a heavy season uh, right now. Just as a country. We just are. Um, just things are tense right now. And so I think this is going to be uh, really good for our souls. So with that, God los. Enrique, with you, it's my cabello and Christina Ivey saying adios adios and we'll see you guys next time on parent Q live.